some people are actually having less sexual activity because they're being more purposeful and decisive about what that is instead of the opposite. Same kind of theory that a lot of people have of like, you shouldn't be giving out condoms because it's going to make kids have sex more. My belief is that that actually isn't the case. That really, if you arm people with education and you arm people with knowledge, then they actually get to make good decisions that come from a place of empowerment instead of, of a place of ignorance and lack, lack of knowledge. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. By embracing all complexities of being a woman, our goal is to share real stories that inspire growth and empower all women to be the best versions of themselves. And as Maya Angelou so eloquently said, when we know better, we do better. Thank you for taking this journey with us. All right. Well, welcome, Dr. Juliana. We are super, super excited for this today. Christy and I have been talking about it since we talked to you a few weeks ago. And truly, we both got off the call and I said, you are absolutely fascinating. There's so much information when you think about sexuality. It definitely encompasses more than we thought. So we're super excited today to talk about sexual agency with you and learn because I don't really know what sexual agency means. So I'm excited to learn. Thank you. And thank you for having me on here too. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I felt the same way. Like after we got off our call, I, I just felt so excited to continue the conversation with you all today. Tell us why we are talking about sexual agency today. And it's a topic that's so important right now. What should we know about sexual agency? Yeah. So I'm going to back up a little bit and talk to you about how I came to understand sexual agency and why it became the aha moment for me, for my personal life, and then my professional life. So um, I knew when I was finishing up my doctorate at William & Mary that I wanted to have it within the topic of sexuality. And when you're going through dissertation, you have to go through all this kind of research stuff, and you have to have something that you're wanting to change by what you are doing. And I decided to have a class. What I wanted to know in constructing a class that evolved and revolved around uh, conversations about, particularly at that time, female sexuality, I started asking the question, what makes one person feel fulfilled in their sexual relationships and their sexual journey? And somebody who may have very similar details do not feel the same way, that they have trauma or a shame, or they don't feel good about the decisions they've made or the experiences that they've had. And I had all these theories. I thought it may be upbringing or lack of education or who you were surrounded by or personality or anything spiritual. And sometimes those things definitely came to bear. But every time I'd get close to something, I was, another story would come up that would be like, nope, that debunks that idea. Until I noticed a theme of people. And again, I was just working with women at the time saying that their sexuality just happened to them that things just happen to them. Sometimes that was in the context of trauma and sexual violence, but most often that comment was made talking about just everyday parts of their sexual life. And when I started diving into that, like how does sexuality just happen to us? I started realizing that there was a theme of not making decisions. 
And I flushed through it, but I came upon this concept of sexual agency. I didn't come up with a topic, but then I looked and there was nothing, nothing. And this was a long time ago. So really before we could do lots of Googling or any of those kinds of things, I was looking in all these articles and it was nowhere. No one was talking about how to make decisions in your sexual life. And for sure, no one was talking about how to learn the skill of that. So I started asking further. And this is what I what I came up with my concept of what sexual agency is, which is that you realize there's a decision to be made. You have confidence in the skills that you have to make a decision. Then you make the decision. And that's kind of where I ended up. And when I would talk to people like, can you make decisions for yourself? Like, yes, I do this all the time. And of course I do. But I'd ask them to tell me a story or several stories. And we could pull apart their oftentimes at least one of those three things missing that actually the thing just happened because they didn't realize that they were in the middle of making a decision or in the middle of something happening before they actually step back and decide do I want to be doing this or do I not then we would talk about their confidence and then there'd be lots of comments about like I didn't want to be difficult I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings I just wanted to get it over with uh and then third it was like well you know it was just easier to go along with this than it was to, to say no. And I heard those things over and over and over again. And no one was really relating that to not making decisions. So that was really interesting. And I knew I had to do something about that and changing our sexual education. But it didn't account for how often I was hearing about people's, again, going back to my original question, which is what makes one person happy and fulfilled and what doesn't. And it was the fourth step in sexual agency, which is living with the consequences of your decisions and particularly the unintended ones. And when you're dealing with sexuality, it is so different and so unpredictable. Oftentimes our sexuality is in relation to someone else and humans are unpredictable. So it was really often we would make plans. We would think we're doing all these things and then something would go awry and we'd have trauma and places of shame or guilt or healing in it. And I was like, okay, now I've got it. Now I know what sexual agency is. But then I realized there was a fifth part of it. So there's five parts of sexual agency. And that's, what do you do when life goes awry? What do you do when Something happens that you didn't foresee or expect. You thought of one through five, but you didn't think of the sixth thing that could have happened. And that was where, like when we talk about resiliency, resiliency happens in that moment of how do you interpret when something doesn't go how you expect it to, or someone doesn't react how you expect it to, or do you go back to any of the other steps, which is now I don't trust myself. I don't have good judgment. I can't put good men. I don't make good friends. I don't make good decisions. I don't trust that I can do that anymore? Or is it that I'm just afraid to make decisions? Like, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to be passive in what my life is. So all of that together, when you have that one skill set, and it, it translates to all areas of your, of your life, but in particularly when you're looking at it in your sexual life, it changes everything because you start having control in something that at first you just thought was a natural part of life. That was a part of the relationship that is just supposed to work. And that we're not really supposed to have an active place in, in our life, especially as women. So for me, that's what sexual agency is. And that is the alpha and omega of sex education and understanding who you are as a sexual being. I think it's amazing because, I mean, coming from, I'm 50. And I don't think I've ever had this conversation. 
and all those questions that you just asked and outlined the five pieces of that. And so, you know, why were we not talking about it? Why am I hearing this at 50? And what, how could this have changed my life at 30 or even 20? How often are you running into this? Yeah, all the time. And and I felt it too in my life. Like when I first discovered it, I was like, wow, I wish somebody had said this to me. I wish I had been taught this for so many reasons, which is why it's one of my, my passions is that I, I want to tell people all the time about this and then teach them how to, to incorporate this into their lives. You know, why is it, it not a part of our education? I think in some ways, because everyone just, not everyone, a lot of people and those who are in decision-making power about what our sex education is in a formal way, just kind of want it to go away. Just let's just not deal with sex and sexuality. And then let's get really afraid about it. And let's be very negative and fear-based instead of realizing that actually, if you have agency and you're teaching it, actually people make so much better decisions in their life. They're so much more satisfied and fulfilled. And some people are actually having less sexual activity because they're being more purposeful and decisive about what that is instead of the opposite. Same kind of theory that a lot of people have of like, you shouldn't be giving out condoms because it's going to make kids have sex more. My belief system is that actually isn't the case. That really, if you arm people with education and you arm people with knowledge, then they actually get to make the decisions that come from a place of empowerment instead of, of a place of ignorance and lack, lack of knowledge. That is so, it's so powerful. But to Christy's point too, I wish we would have had this conversation. And I want to just ask a question as a parent. I wish I would have asked questions sooner, but raising our sons and our daughters, I felt like I was very open. Uh, well, I would, I would say I was somewhat open about sexuality and I wanted my children to view sex as a really positive, wonderful thing. But at the same time, to your point of there are consequences and are you prepared for the consequences? But what can we do? When do we start talking to our children about sexuality and what can we do to make that a healthy, a healthy dialogue with our children? It's such, that's such a great question too. It's uh, there's, there's many areas and angles to come out with that. The first thing that I tell parents is that you start when you're really young. In fact, like I, I have two, two kids at different ages and I started talking to both of them and, and they're both uh, one, one boy and one girl. When they were just starting to talk, I was saying the, the right, I was saying the words, I was uh, using the right terminology and I was doing it for me so that I could feel comfortable in saying these things out loud. Then as they got older, I wasn't as awkward uh, in saying that I, I had, even though I do this, it's all different when it's your own kids. So I speak to this, not just as an educator, but as a parent too, that even though I'm so comfortable, I could talk to a crowd of thousands about this, but sit down with my child and I'm flubbing all against myself and all my rules that I, I want to give the people, I'm like, don't do it. And I'm like talking in fear-based instead of like, no, 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 really. This is the hard part because when we are teaching things to our kids, we can't help but bump up against ourselves. And it's a mirror and reflection of where we are and where our healing still is. So as practice makes perfect, it's also not looking for perfection. It's showing your kids you're a safe person to talk to. And I think if you show some discomfort or awkwardness, then in a lot of ways, that is a more endearing things to your kids because then you're not coming at them like an expert. You're coming at them like a human and you are creating a space, which is the most important thing that you are safe to ask 
and you may not know the answers to, but you'll support them and you'll help them find the answers. The other thing I would do simultaneously is you're getting used to asking these questions and saying these things to your kids is every chance you can help your children learn how to make decisions, even outside of the sexual world, but allow them to learn the concept of all those five things of agency outside of sexual world. If they have that skill outside of sexual behavior, then they're going to be able to incorporate it a lot more easier when it's time to make those kinds of decisions inside of their sexual self. So I would do that stuff. I want to go back to when you started about having the conversations at when they're young. Can you get a little bit more specific? Are you are you saying that we're starting with just having the right terminology for our body? Give me some examples of what that would look like because you know, I think we make up names. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're young and what effect does that have? And let's talk about specifics of what conversations we really should be having from from when they're young to their teen years. Yeah. So when they're really young, it's really about body parts. And, you know, it's so funny. So I'm, I'm again, like pretty passionate about using the right words. And I've been teaching my daughter, she's a vulva, not a vagina since the very beginning. She won't call it a vulva. She just won't do it. <laughs> I have tried and tried and been saying it since she was little. Like, of course, of course, she's not going to do it because of what I do. That's fine. But again, it's just about the conversation. And, and it's okay, as long as she's talking about it and she knows she can talk about her genitals to me and ask questions. And I watched very carefully what my reaction is. And there's certainly been things that she said and done about her genitals that I would I want to laugh or I want to go call like my mom and say this funny thing she just said. She used to say vagina all the time. That was so funny. And I want to normalize it. So it's reflecting what they say. It's being proactive, like, oh, like we're going to clean your vulva now and things like that, that normally just feel so embarrassing, think easy to skip over. But I wanted her to feel comfortable about those parts because when she can see that I am at least trying to be comfortable with it, then when she actually has a question, when we're getting into puberty or there's some health issue going on, that she feels okay asking and knows that I'm okay with it too. Even in discomfort or awkwardness or humor, uh, we can talk about it. Same thing with my son. We did the same thing. And I would say like, I don't have this part, but I can help find out answers uh, about your penis too. And I had this one story that I wrote and that was called me, Jack and the jock strap. And it was like the first time that I had to buy a cup for my son for a football game. And I was like reading these instructions in our foyer going, I have no idea where to put this thing. I mean, I know kind of where to go. <laughs> and he looked at me like, don't look at me either. <laughs> and and it was, it was this honestly like wonderful exchange that even he was like five or six at the time. And we still, he's 22 now. We still talk about it, how funny it was. And his takeaway was like, you know, it was just a normal part of it. And that's all right. And I remember one time too, he came running in my room like, mom, say, mom, I've got balls inside my balls. And, <laughs> you know, like no one prepares you for the statements that some of our kids say. And you're like, what is the right do I get excited? Do I just say yes? Like, what, what do you say? What is the least hurtful or least whatever thing? I was like, you're right. Awesome. Great. And now what? And, you know, like, what do we do with that now? And again, like, it's, it's, it's just rarely about having the perfect answer. It's, it's about being receptive to it all. And I tell parents too, if you don't feel like you got it right, whatever right is the first time, you can always go back. In fact, that's such a beautiful lesson to teach your kids, which is, you know, I like a do-over. 
So if your kid has said something that you're surprised by, or you don't know how to answer, or you don't like how you answer, you ask for a do-over and say, you know, I thought about when you asked me about what you saw uh, mommy and daddy doing in their uh, bedroom last night, I actually want to explain something differently to you now. And kids often are, first of all, most of them just be like, uh, okay, and then they move on. And you don't see that actually what happened was that that moment was re really teachable. So I told you my son is 22 and he, he's been asked quite a bit in media or in my people like, what is it like to have her as your mother and a sex educator? And, and, you know, he, he, I've had those kind of conversations too about what that's like and if it's been mortifying, embarrassing and stuff. And he said, you know, I thought that was going to be a lot of his big answers, but one day we were driving in the car and I, and I asked him, I was like, truly like what, just between us, what has this been like for you? And he's like, well, yeah, it's been nice like that I can ask you things and I know like it's your job to, to be good about it and to know what you're talking about. Sometimes it's embarrassing when my friends, you know, see that you do that. He's like, but honestly, the best thing you've done is you've taught me not just how I should treat other people and what I should have in my sexual life. He's like, you've taught me that as a man, I deserve to be treated well too. And that what I need and what I want matters. And like, I was like oh, that's beautiful. I had no idea. Like, Thank you. That's great. When I sat back with that, I was like, yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm obviously passionate about what we need to do for our daughters, but we need to do these things for our sons too, especially for our sons who will be interacting with women. It has to be a whole culture of change that everyone gets to have sexual agency. Everybody matters and everyone gets to have a say in their life. Um, we just have to teach and support that. And that, that progressive, like I, at another moment in my second marriage, I had three bonus boys. And I remember when I was walking past, I had like a load of laundry and they stopped and they said, we want to talk to you about porn. Mm, I just want to do my whites, but okay, <laughs> like, here we are in this again, like no one prepares you and it never, but those are the conversations that are almost more important than like the sit down talk. Right. Is the time when your kids say, I have a question and you're like, I'm putting it down and I'm going to just try my best with that. And again, here I am as an expert. And I was like, what is going to be asked? Like, what is it? And, and for our house, we had some rules and some values that we didn't at that time want our, our boys looking at porn. And they had a list of, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this against the rules? Is this against the rules? And what I loved about it was that it mattered to them that they were willing to ask the question that we could have a, a conversation that felt really uncomfortable for me with teenage boys. And, and I really wasn't sure what our answer was going to be for some of that. And I said that at times, like, that's a great question. Uh, let me talk with your dad and we'll get back if you want it. Let's have another conversation about it. Tell me what your concerns are. Tell me what you want and what you need with this. And let's co-create some decisions together. I think that's a really important thing to do also, which is teaching your kids how to communicate about sex and how to negotiate decision-making too. Discover adventure, discover luxury, discover Moab with exclusive retreats for your next vacation or event. Wake up to amazing views only minutes from Utah's most breathtaking national and state parks and Moab's best shopping and dining. Enjoy your fully stocked vacation home with private pool and hot tub. Every room is a luxurious private suite, plus daily maid service and private chefs are available. Exclusive retreats. We're not your home away from home. We are better. Book today at exclusiveretreats.com.
for me as a parent, my mom never talked about sex at all, at all. But then you get older and there's so many questions going on in my mind about this because a couple are one, I think the more confident we are too, to just, and be open to have the conversation. At the same time, we're dealing with, I would love your suggestion on how do we deal with as our kids become teens and we're dealing with the conversation of masturbation and how do you react as a parent that you don't shame a child? Because I know that happens a lot. And then especially for women, I feel like if you don't even know your own body and then all of a sudden you're now sharing it with a partner, it can be very complex. Yes. Yeah. And again, that's a wonderful question that we need to be constantly checking in and asking self. And it's the third part of my advice on how to raise sexually competent children is you need to do the work yourself. And I used to say first, but that's not life. You know, first of all, none of us would do that. Same with my parents, God love them, but they they gave me a book. And it was a terrible book and everything else was like, you are bad if you do anything else beyond that. And so I spent most of my life trying to be the good girl. And, and, you know, my mom and I have had beautiful conversations and we've come like a really far way with all of that. And, and, you know, she's like my biggest supporter in this work, but we, there's just so much we have to learn. And I, again, like I'm a big proponent of not trying to show your kids that you're always the expert and that you are the all-knowing of everything. It's incorporating them into their own decision-making of who they are and what they want. And also seeing you do the work too. That does not mean they need to be privy to private information and details. They don't have to know those things, but they can see that that matters to you, that you want to explore those things on your own. So like there's lots of, I, I had some hilarious stories from some of my friends of like kids walking out. It's like one of my good friends, and actually your husband knows her, uh, was writing a check to her babysitter and her son went and brought this very big sex toy that it was a joke that she had gotten at a sex toy top and was like, mom, and it acted like it was a lightsaber. And she was just trying, and it was very clearly a sex toy. And the babysitter pretended like it wasn't happening and she was ignoring it and and, you know, there's lots of those kind of things that happened. I actually did a whole blog on people sending me, uh, ask people to send me stories of errant sex toys with their kids. I personally think that although there needs to be things that are private and there needs to be things that are definitely this is mommy or daddy time or mommy and daddy space. I also don't believe in necessarily always locking up everything and having that be so private and secret that kids are when curious and then they're not educated and then they don't realize it's something that you value too. Obviously, I'm not a proponent for kids being exposed to pornography or anything like that until they are well, well older uh, in their life. But I do think it's okay to, to acknowledge that you have pleasure and you want to have pleasure and that you may experience that yourself. And then they want to do that. It can be difficult if you walk in on your kid masturbating and not to know what to do. And that's, again, like that's often the time that I was like, you know, you can always ask for do-overs if you really don't know what to say or what you want with that. And there were sometimes too that uh, in my family, I, I almost was like, we need to be a little more private with our conversations about when we're, you know, all this kind of stuff is happening at all these boys um, everywhere. And that was okay too. Like, I think you can find your own family's balance as to what is private what is public, what is acceptable and, um, and not. Um, and I think a great way of that is giving the conversation to people and to whatever your genders or kids are of um, your body can bring pleasure and you can give your body pleasure as well. And we support that in our family. 
And then it kind of goes to what your values are. You can say things about where where it's okay, when it's okay, when if you want to have privacy. There's like a common term or sentence is, um, but we do that in the privacy of your room. That's something that we don't do. You know, I know that feels wonderful, but we're going to keep that in a private place. That I think is a very acceptable thing to give to kids that it doesn't embarrass them or shame them, but it gives them proper boundaries as to when and where to do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we've talked a lot about children, teens, parenting, and navigating all of the ins and outs of that. And I'm curious, or at least want to speak to women like myself, that I feel like I think I know my sexuality and my level of confidence with it. But you know, what don't I know? And you know, what's the message today saying, this is why it's so important. And this is how and why it's life-changing for you, whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I don't remember how old your mom is, but you're, you've talked about how amazing that transformation has been. And so I would love to kind of talk about why is this such an important message for us today? Yeah. And I love the way that you phrase that of, I, you know, I don't know what I don't know in it. And that to me is such an important part of our sexuality, which is to remain curious. That is such a beautiful place. It invites uh, self-reflection and self-growth. It allows for you to understand the ebb and flow of our desire and libido of our sexual connection with ourself. And if we're partnered for a long period of time, it allows for us to um, bob and weave through how we feel about our body in relation to our sexual connection. And, And as we age through things, we want to remain curious so that we don't shut down and we don't shut off. And that we start, we really, as we age, what we want to happen is that we are growing closer and closer to understanding who we are. Uh, instead of feeling more disconnected uh, with others in our life or in our, and with ourselves. And I believe that our sexuality is the essence of who we are. I believe that it is the truest expression of us. We've just been taught that it's about who you're attracted to and what you do with your body parts. That's part of it, but it's just, it's not everything. And so when I talk about sex education and what we should know about ourselves, I really believe in holistically looking at our sexuality. And I often sit back and like, if you were just told this, even at a young age in our one class in seventh grade, it wasn't about your uterus and testes. And it was about like, listen, there's pleasure in life. You're going to have desires, this thing called libido. That is about the spark that you have in your soul. Sometimes that's going to be because you really want to kiss somebody or, you know, do something sexual with somebody. Sometimes it's going to be because you just love your work or you love that sunny day and you have to remain connected to it. Talking about like how to have sexual, really have empowered sexual health decisions with our medical providers. That's a huge part of it. I work with so many people, especially women, but so many people who are not taking care of their sexual health because they're too embarrassed to ask and their providers aren't being proactive themselves in it. That's a part of holistic sexuality. Looking at where does love and connection fit into your happiness and fulfillment in both your sexual world and outside of it. And then truly, like, do you really know who you are? And when we think about in the the most heightened, evolved sexual connections that we've had. And, and that doesn't mean it has to be this amazing, passionate, making love. It can be a quickie with somebody that you don't know. There can be evolved sexual connections in a variety of form, but a lot of us know what I mean by that. Like when you've really had a soulful connection that you're like, that tapped into me. 
that really tapped in the truth of me. And I felt a different kind of exchange. That is important. That kind of connection is mimicked outside of the world and as well as is something that you want to enhance in your life. Because what it truly means is that you're living a present mindedness. You are really paying attention to what the truth is about who you are and what's happening in your life. And you're making decisions that are based in self-knowledge instead of what everyone else is telling you it should be. And when you are making decisions based on who you are, that's kind of like when we get to that phase, especially for women, like what I think moving into your 40s and 50s, and I'm 50 also, or almost 50, is like, it's just being unapologetic. And I don't know if you can be unapologetic about your life until you really make peace with it and know the truth. And I love speaking essence to essence with people, which is like, hey, this is the truth of me. This is this is the good stuff you're going to get by knowing me. This is the hard stuff you're going to get by knowing me. And I want to know the same about you because I know you have the same. Details are going to be different, but you matter. You matter to me and this connection matters to me. So let's kind of like sift through that stuff and just sit down and, and share. Those are the most kind of fulfilled kind of relationships in my life that I look for and that I see over and over again as the older we get, um, especially with women that we're really striving for. We kind of just don't have time for the BS anymore. We just really want to be living our truth. And that's the gift of aging, I think, is learning that and living it and finding other people who are living like that too. Oh my gosh, I love that. Dr. Juliana, you, I would love to, to now tell people, because I feel like Christy's point at any age, it's never too late. And that is the beauty of aging as we come into our own. And I think we embrace things completely different and are hopefully more open-minded. At least I feel like I try to be, but where, what resource, tell us what you provide. Cause when I was looking at your website, again, I was saying earlier, there are so many resources. You offer so many different classes, I guess you would call them or one-on-one sessions, but you work with men and women. It's not just women. Can you tell us a little bit more and where can people go to find more information or if they have a journey, they're also looking for, you know, they want to expand their journey. Tell us a little bit more where they can find that. Great. Yeah. So yeah. So I I transitioned my like academic classes to private courses, and my favorite one, which is what started at Women Mary, is called Revealed, and it is like, like basically a ten week process or like a weekend retreat that I take people through that looks at your sexual journey in a macro way and then in a micro way, and it is it's just one of the most beautiful experiences that um, that I always feel honored to get to witness people walking through it and have always, and I do mean always, have people say it changed their life. It's transformative. And it's the rare time that you get to spend towards looking at yourself and looking at your sexual journey in a very advanced way, especially around other people who are doing the same thing. It just takes bravery to do it. And our lives are so busy, we don't often prioritize our sexual exploration and our self-reflection on it. Um, Yeah, so I work with people one-on-one. I work with couples. Um, I do these courses. And um, my website is a great way to learn um, some about me. And then Instagram and Facebook are the other ways that I um, will also be interacting. And your website is uh, Dr. Juliana, right? Yes, it's uh, DR uh, and then a dash Juliana. Somebody in Poland grabbed drjuliana.com before me. And I I keep waiting for her to stop. (laughs) I feel like she's got a thriving dental practice or something there in in Poland. But I'm waiting for it. 
waiting to get into Oh my gosh. Well, this has been a really powerful topic and we're going to dive into another topic, but I read in your bio that it's, you are like the best girlfriend with a PhD and it's similar to going to a doctor's appointment and having a glass of wine and just talking with your doctor. And I totally, I 100% agree with that because I will say I never once felt comfortable talking to my doctor anything to do with sexuality or sex. This has just been an incredible topic. Christy, is there anything you want to add? You know, I just want to sum up with thank you for being here. I'm excited to hear how our audience receives this and how much resonates. I just think you hit on such a powerful topic and I've learned a lot and I look forward to one of your workshops. I think Deanne and I are both going to sign up for one of them. So thank you. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. So thank you for creating a podcast that examines um, all parts of a woman. It's so important. And I know that your audience is going to be very loyal to you all. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment.